Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Welcome to everybody tonight. If you're visiting with us tonight, we're glad to have you. Thank you for being in service. If you're joining us someplace else on the internet, we welcome you as a part of the service tonight as well. You can be seated. Um, you guys could uh, put my iPad on the screen, please. I would. I want to, uh, over the next couple of weeks, uh, as we're in this in between with uh, Antioch U. Um, share some things, uh, some of what I, or everything, actually what I have to share tonight, some stuff we covered at our leadership summit uh, at the end of November, and I feel like it's important for you to hear uh, these things as well. So uh, tonight and the next couple of weeks, um, I, at this point, I believe next week will uh, be some other things uh, connected to that. Uh, and then uh, we'll see where we go from there. So, um, not exactly uh, teaching in the context of normal uh, teaching, but sharing, communicating some things uh, with you. So, uh, one one of kind of the theme of our leadership summit uh, is is uh, that we want to activate the vision God has given us. The Bible says of the of the children of Israel that the Lord the Lord told Joshua, "You got to go in and possess the land." The promise was, "I've given you the land, but you got to go in and take the land. You got to go in and do something." And God's promises to us collectively and God's promises to us individually are not for us to sit back in our recliner and wait for God to do something. The purpose of God's promise is to guarantee us what God's going to do. Our job is to find out the how of the promise. How are we going to, God, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to get there? So whatever, whenever God says what, I believe God also has the how that goes with it. And so we, we have to find that. And, and I believe that we are at a point in time in which God is desiring for us that the vision that's been given to us from the beginning and things that have been confirmed throughout the history of this church, that we, we not just keep talking about that vision, but we take te steps for that vision to be active and see that vision fulfilled. So that was kind of the overarching theme of our summit. And there's some things we uh, communicated before, or communicated there that, we're, that we've been working on the last year or so. Um, one of the things is trying to encapsulate our vision, and uh, we believe that part of our vision, the part of the purpose of our vision is equipping for worldwide end-time harvest. Remember last uh, two Sunday nights ago, was it, when Brother Shelton was ministering and he talked about that a church service, a message, a service, we need to look beyond the service we're in. That what's going on even while we're in that service is beyond. And so we're not just here trying to build a church 
in Arnold and Baltimore in this geographical location, but we've been called to be a part of something worldwide, and there are various ways in which that is accomplished. Obviously, some of that is accomplished by people going, whether that's Bishop going, myself, others going in ministry right now, and, and uh, as I'm sure most or many of you, if you're involved in social media, uh, have kept up with what's been on there with the Philippine or the Mission Philippine trip, and looks like things are going well. Can't wait to hear the reports. They, they did have, I know some of their plans were interrupted because some of the flooding and stuff in one of the areas they were in, and, and so there's various ways. Some, I, I, I'm hoping, surely, we've got somebody here that's called to be a missionary. It's been a long time since we've sent a missionary overseas. I don't believe Brother Hemus is the last missionary Antioch has. So some are called to go. If we're not called specifically to go, we are called to give. We are called to give. And I, can, I, can I just, can I, you know what? What if, what if we all just took some of the extra cash in our pockets from cheaper gas prices and gave that to missions? I mean, you've been living without it for a while. So whether you go by, whether you, the statement is, this isn't original, some give, some go, some give by going, and others go by giving. So whether it's simply us giving and helping to fund, whether it's the missionaries we support, or making it available for people in this church to go for ministry, we, we're, we're involved in something bigger than just Maryland, bigger than just our, our location. And so our goal is to equip for worldwide end time. Our vision is equipping for worldwide end time harvest. I, I would, uh, I, I, if you would like a copy of these notes tonight, I would encourage you because there's some, there's some I think, important material in here. The other thing I intend to do over the next couple of days, break it up a little bit and share some of this by email, um, but I have not printed, I'm, I'm not necessarily trying to save the environment, but at the same time I don't want to just waste resources and spend money printing things that just get laid aside. So I, I do believe that uh, this is important to every individual here tonight, so uh, and the normal thing is if you want my notes, you email me and I'll send you the whole uh, document, or uh, again, I do intend to break this up over the next couple of days and share it with you through the uh, through our email distribution. So uh, these the, the next couple of I'm not going to take time for each of these, but these are some of the things, some of the promises that God has given us, and uh, most of you are familiar with a lot of that. And so moving moving along here, our our mission. Our mission, Antioch desires to commission every available person, say that's me, to and that's everybody that's yet to come, to fulfill their place, say I have a place, touch your neighbor, say I have a place, high five your neighbor, say I have... <laughs> Isn't it amazing how this happens and this is just, just has to be both. We desire to commission every available person to fulfill their place in God's kingdom. We prepare 
by communicating timeless and unchanging truths. That's not just verbiage. That's extremely, I believe, extremely important. Timeless and unchanging truths. We strengthen ourselves by creating meaningful kingdom connections. His mission is our mission. If we're not careful, we can make what we do about what we want it to be. You and I aren't here to come up with ideas of why we're here, to create reasons for being here. The reason we are here as a body is His mission. I, I, I believe this, this is my, 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 I believe that, I believe individually our mission is to become disciples. Corporately, I believe our mission is to seek and save what's lost. Obviously, as disciples, we find our place in seeking and saving the lost. But our mission, our mission is His mission. So we need to be a part of what His mission is and not just what some of our own personal missions and desires and things are. Again, if we're not careful, we can make this about something different than His mission. So we need to make sure that, that we stay true to His mission. Now, I'm going to spend the, basically the remainder of the evening on this. Our guiding principles. Let me, let me use this analogy tonight. I've used it before. Come here, Nathaniel, if you would, please. This is my son, but I don't know who he takes after with his attire. I guess I am now reaping what I sowed growing up because my dad always gave me a hard time. So so I am, and I can use him for a lot of reasons, but standing here right now, I can feel, I can feel tall. I feel pretty tall. I mean, I am head and shoulders above him. I'm tall. I know you're ready to jump up here, so go ahead. I, I can see... I can see... Like a like a racehorse waiting for the gate. He's just I I just saw it. <laughs> now, now this guy has a million dollar smile. There's no other, not a lot of people with a smile like this smile. Now what happens? I'm not tall anymore. I prefer to say it that way. I'm tall. He's short. He's tall, I'm not tall anymore. <laughs> it changes because of what I'm using to compare. I've said it before, I, I, the Philippines is one of the, I think this is, this is really shallow, but one of my favorite places I've ever been because I spent nine, ten days being tall. It was awesome. Then I came back home. So, tall is based on my comparisons. You, you can sit down, thank you. Not, I didn't say you. Now, let's, let's go another step. Standing here, <clears throat> compared to him, I become heavy. Oh, I'm not going to pick anybody over here. <laughs> <laughs> you 
See, there's, there's a lot of terms we use. I, I know this isn't, this isn't the norm tonight. Bear with me. I'm just, we're going to have a little, we don't have a fire. We can't have a fireside chat, but we'll have a pulpit side chat. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of terms we use that are relative based on what you're comparing them to. If I were to ask right now how many of you are rich, I may get a, I mean, if from, from a monetary standpoint, how many of you are rich, I might get a hand or two. If I were to ask how many of you are poor, I'd get a bunch of hands. So to all that would, would acknowledge I'm poor... I could easily take you to a whole lot of places where what you consider poor, your income that you consider poor, puts you in a whole different category. Because there's places all over the world that would dream of making what you make in a couple of years that you can... And so it's, it's based on a comparison. Again, the, the, you know, we, we use weight and, and, and some of, well, I'm, I'm skinny or I'm fat. And a lot of times we use those terms in comparison. There, there is no exact precise. There, there is no exact precise when you become tall or when you're still short. It's all comparison. There were some that in elementary were tall. But they got all their growth in early. And then they hit middle school and up and they stopped growing. And There were some that spent most of those years short. And then come middle school and high school, they get this growth spurt and now all of a sudden they're, they're tall. It's all, compare, it's all relative. The problem is there are some things that are not relative. And truth is not relative. And this first thing is not relative. Our doctrine is not based in comparison to this group, that group. What is, what is Christianity saying today? What is the latest ideas and philosophies of, of Christianity today? I'm, I'm not talking about all the heathens, and I'm talking about Christianity. Because now it's common in Christianity for for, for believers to say there are no absolutes. I, I'm sorry, there are absolutes. Those absolutes come from the Word of God. And so, so part of my purpose of that analogy not only is this first category, but the, the purpose of our guiding principles is we need to have something that doesn't change that we measure ourselves by. We need some, some values, if you will. We need some measurements that, that rather not, not looking at, not comparing ourselves around today and feeling good or bad about ourselves, but what is it that defines us so that we can periodically revisit corporately, ministry-wise, and individually, are we abiding by, are we staying true to the guiding principles that define who and what we are? Some of you know it and some of you don't know it, but just because we sit here and are apostolic tonight, Pentecostal, whatever title you prefer to use, and, and, and we are part of a Pentecostal organization, does not exempt us, guarantee that we are, we are set in our ways and are going to stay. 
There are churches all over the place, including churches in this district, the Maryland, D.C. district that we are part of, that used to teach and preach and believe what we consider to be these fundamental doctrines, but no longer do that. We've got to make sure that we stay true to what's been handed to us. The old statement is, the old saying is, methods may change. How we do things. We didn't have all this in the 70s and the 80s. We didn't have these things in the 60s and the 50s. We didn't have all this stuff that we have now. We didn't have glass pulpits. We didn't have, we didn't control our monitors 15, 10 years ago. There's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of methods the way we do. Like it or not, our songs may change. Style of music may change. So there are things that may change with regards to methods. But our message, the message, does not change. I was in a meeting today, and in the, in the course of it, there was a church that came up. We were talking about a church in, in, a, in a certain area that is a, it is what's considered uh, it's what would be considered in a, from a from Pentecostal standard, whatever, to be conservative, to be ultra conservative. I mean, I, I, some of you, some of you, we need to take some of y'all on a field trip. Some of you think we, some of you think we got it rough here at Antioch. All these standards, we you, you don't have some of you, some of you do, but some of you have no clue. There are places where wedding bands are preached against. You're not, I've preached at some place within the last 10 years that I, I was asked, specifically asked, to take my wedding band off. Okay, no problem. I, res, I respect your conviction. There are, there are places, not, I'm not talking about just, you know, some isolated, you know, somewhere in the boonies where nobody ever goes. I'm talking some mainstream places where, where, where long, it, it's believed that you're supposed to wear long sleeves all the time, winter, summer, spring or fall, might as well get them all. They're, they're, and on and on. You only should wear white shirts with your suits. I, I, I know some of you know this, some of you don't. Trying to help you a little bit. Realize it ain't quite as bad as you think it is sometimes. But we were, we were in a conversation and we were talking about a church. And, and this church is a, a very substantial church. Very large church. But a very conservative. And I made the point in that meeting. You know what? There are things that people try to say or excuses as to why we can't reach the lost. But they've proven. Now some of those groups like that, are they've got a really bad attitude to go with it. This particular group, from everything I've ever heard of them, that's not the case. So my point is, there are some things the, the, the enemy wants to tell us, and the enemy has affected a lot of Christians into believing the only way to reach the world is to become like the world, or not to draw lines and set boundaries and all of that. And that is a lie. 
So, I've got several categories here that we're going to, uh, to go through that are some of the guiding principles. First off, doctrine. Antioch believes there is one God. One God. Not three. Not three co-equal. One. One God. Antioch believes Jesus Christ was God manifested in the flesh. Not second person in the Trinity. Not Jesus Jr. Not God Jr. Not any of that. But He was God manifested in the flesh. Antioch believes... The Word of God, the Word of God, not society, not Hollywood, not any other, not any other mainstream influences. The Word of God is the final authority in all matters. A-L-L. Not just plan of salvation, not just worship, but how we live, how we dress, how we act what kind of husbands and wives we are, what kind of parents and children we are, what kind of employees and employers that we are, that the Bible is the final authority on all matters. Antioch believes the gospel is Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. This defines the gospel. If it's the gospel, it ought to meet the criteria of death, burial, and resurrection, repentance, water baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost as evidenced by speaking in other tongues. And it's not clearly stated in here, so let me just make sure you're all aware of it. Speaking in tongues is not just some extra benefit that some get and others don't get. It is the evidence. It is the evidence. It's the only thing we find throughout the book of Acts that they stated as the evidence of a person receiving the Holy Ghost. Speaking in tongues is not the Holy Ghost, but it is the evidence of the Holy Ghost. Antioch believes that without holiness, this was added to those of you that were at Leadership Summit, we believe that without holiness no man shall see God. Holiness is separateness. It's being set apart from. But it's not just being set apart from. It's being set apart to. I did not stand at an altar one day and promise to stay away from all women. I separated from every other female in this world to be set apart to one female. That's why some miss the boat because all they do is separate from. They never get separated to. Separated from without getting separated to is not fulfilling at all. You can go join that religion if you want to, but I'll choose to stay apostolic. <laughs> without holiness. And so holiness starts on the inside. Part of the reason it starts on the inside, I believe, is because the Lord said to the Pharisees, you, you got it on the outside, but on the inside is dead man's bones. And so holiness, I believe, affects what we see on the outside, but it starts on the inside. It's manifested on the outside. 
My, my apparel is not holiness. I do believe it is a manifestation that I am separating myself from the world, from the fads and the fashions of the world. Our problem is a lot of times holiness to us has to do simply about dress, your attitude, your conversation, your spirit, your demeanor. All of that is influenced by being separate from the world, separated to God. Paul told Timothy, be thou an example to the believer. And he listed a bunch of different ways to be an example. But we believe it is still a belief of this church, will be a belief of this church that without holiness, we will not see God. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And there's something, I didn't come to get bogged down on stuff tonight, but there's something wrong when, all, when we're always trying to figure out how can we lessen, how can we cut corners. I think I probably would have to, I probably would need to be resuscitated. And I don't maybe Bishop's had this happen to him in his years as a pastor, and I haven't had it happen to me yet. I guess I'm still relatively new, but I think I'd fall over and need to be need to be resuscitated if somebody walked up and said, "You know what, brother? Right? I'm just I'm just not sure we're we're really doing it strong enough." Most of the time, my experience is it's always is that really necessary? What? Oh my goodness. We shouldn't try to be working out ways to become more like the world. Has anybody not noticed their way doesn't work real good? Has anybody noticed that, that, that their methods and ideas and concepts and ways of doing things doesn't work real well? Doesn't work at all, but I'm just, you know, trying to be nice, I guess. And yet we want to keep trying to copy the customs, the behaviors of the world. Part of the tr- trouble in our world today is a church that's not willing to be different. Pulpits that aren't willing to take a stand for being different. I- I've said it before, I'll say it again. I- I'm not talking about a bad attitude, a bad spirit, and I'm not talking because if you dress right, and all that look all right on the outside, but then you walk around right, self-righteous and critical and judging everybody? Excuse the grammar, you ain't got it. As I've said before, it's not your job, and, and, and really in a lot of ways it's not my job to line people up. Stand at the baptistry and as soon as they step out. Now, you, you can't do this anymore, and you got to do that. You, that's not... That's not one of the most awesome things is to watch the power of the Holy Ghost work in somebody's life and them begin to do things because of conviction. Next, I believe this one is these two, not that any of them are more important, but these two are extremely important. Unity. Unity supports leadership by providing private, honest, 
two-way communication. Supports leadership by avoiding public dissent. This isn't about control. This isn't about... It's about the principles of the Word of God. I am, I, I don't, if I've ever given you the impression I think I am error-free and faultless, you haven't been around very long. <laughs> if, the, if the Apostle Paul was the chiefest of sinners, then we're all the chiefest, chiefest of sinners. We are the chiefest ests. It deals with offenses scripturally. Let's hurry up and move on to the next one because well, we do a lot of things right. We do a lot of things right. But I got to tell you, there's a bunch of us that skip this, ignore this, justify not doing this. Spiritual when seeing a brother overtaken in a fault. Spiritual when seeing a brother overtaken in a fault is not going telling everybody about it because they need help. Being spiritual when seeing a brother overtaken with a fault is trying to help him and not making a show of helping. Love covers. Unity commits and adheres to Antioch's relationship covenant. Some of you don't know what that is. There actually is a document we went over several years back. Happy to share that. But that outlines some principles of what relationships should be amongst us. Part of that has to do with dealing with issues, dealing with problems. There may be somebody, there may be somebody here tonight not guilty of going to others and talking about an issue with somebody before you've gone to that person. But there's a whole bunch of us, and I said us, that we talk to a bunch of people other than the person. So I'm going to stay on this one for a moment too. Proverbs six sixteen, These things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And here it is. He that soweth discord among the brethren. If I'm reading this verse right and I get the context of this verse, it is an abomination to sow discord among the brethren. Anybody disagree that that's what this is saying? Okay, by your lack of hands, I presume there is none. We shall now make our vows to God and then our vows to each other. There's a wedding reference, sorry. It is an abomination. That's the strongest word of what God hates. You know what one of the definitions of the word abomination is? Disgusting. Disgusting or disgusts or disgusting. See, we, well, you know, homosexuality is an abomination. Ugh. But discord, that's just what humans do. 
The scripture says it's an abomination. God hates those that sow discord. Those that sow discord is an abomination. Amplified says it this way, These things the Lord hates, indeed seven are an abomination to Him. A proud look, the spirit that makes an overestimate the, the spirit that makes one overestimate himself and underestimate others. Now we're getting to the last one, but those are just too good to pass up. The spirit that makes, an, makes one overestimate himself and underestimate others. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that manufactures wicked thoughts and plans, a heart that manufactures wicked thoughts and plans, feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies, even under oath, and he who sows discord among his brethren. And then lastly, for this passage, here are six things the message Bible God hates, and one more that he loathes with a passion. Eyes that are arrogant, a tongue that lies, hands that murder the innocent, a heart that hatches evil plots, feet that race down a wicked track, a mouth that lies under oath, a troublemaker in the family. I like that one. A troublemaker in the family. We are a family. Brother, right, how can we be a family when we fuss and fight and argue and whatever with each other? I thought that was part of the definition of a family. <laughs> at least it is at my house. <laughs> Families aren't perfect. Sometimes they're not forgiven. Being family doesn't make us all love, what doesn't make us get along all the time. Even the best of marriages, sometimes the husband and wife get a little under each other's skin. A troublemaker in the family. Proverbs eleven thirteen. A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. I hope y'all haven't checked out on me. I know, I know I'm not, we're not hanging from the fans, and I know you're not just dripping with revelation right now, but this is, this is important. This is important to our health and our well-being. A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. So a talebearer is, to be a talebearer doesn't necessarily mean you're telling something false. Well, I'm not a gossip. I told the truth. I'm not a talebearer. I told the truth. Yeah, but was what did what you tell need to be told? He that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Hides, not hides to be secretive or, or to be untrue or to be dis... But hides because... Let, let me tell you something. God, God always deals with your sin first, you and Him. God's, God's desire is for you and Him to deal with your sin, you and Him. If, you, if God deals with your sin publicly, that's because you have reached the point you're not listening to Him. And so a last-ditch effort is to make it public to try to get your attention. Because it's a whole lot easier. You know, it's a big joke. It's a big joke. 
that's been going around and, and, and lots of get lots of laughs from it and, and if it's guilty is the word then I'm guilty of it too but there, there's a joke or there's a video been going around for several weeks now this guy on uh, at the Church of God in Christ convention and he gets up and he says he's been delivered of being a homosexual and and all of that I got to tell you I'm just I'm just giving you my perspective I don't think there was any benefit to that for a whole lot of reasons but one is that guy now is marked. And now he's, every time somebody looks at him, not only now for the video, and some of you can't hear me talk and think about it without cracking up and snickering, and that's all right. But he's now associated constantly with his former lifestyle. Paul said, such were some of you. Such were. I don't think Paul said such were some of you and everybody needs to know exactly what you were. Because some of you had to live under the shame of what you were before you got here. How awesome is it now to come here, God deliver you of your past, and nobody know your past. If you choose, and I know there's a part of healing and wholeness some of you have experienced it. There's a point you reach in healing and wholeness. You now tell your testimony. That's your prerogative. But it's not somebody else's prerogative to tell your secrets. And we are living in a day and time in which filters are less than they've ever been. Not only do we speak before we think, nowadays our problem is we type and post before we think. The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Proverbs twenty nineteen: He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets, therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with the lips. Message Bible says, Gossips can't keep secrets, so never confide in blabbermouth. Tell you what, one of the most prized possessions you have in ministry is the reputation of your ability to keep a confidence. And once you blow that, and the problem is some of you just can't help but share what you know because you feel elevated because of what you know. And what's sad is when we cloak it in all kinds of spiritual reasoning. Where no wood is, there's no, where no wood is, the fire goeth out. So where there's no tail bearer, the strife ceaseth. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a tail bearer, here it is, same thing, we, we've already, Solomon said this already. The words of a tail bearer are as wounds and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Before you speak, before you share, what am I saying? How, how am I, is what I'm saying going to contribute or take away from unity? Is it going to help the unity of the body? Is it going to take away from the unity of the body? 
you know, there we males and females both have stereotypes, and not every male fits every male stereotype, not every female fits every female stereotype, but there are some things that seem to be, for the most part, pretty common, and one of the things men get get stereotyped for is, is their forgetfulness, and, and a lot of times husbands get the bad rap of being bad communicators, forgetting to tell their wives stuff, and I'd be surprised if there's a husband in here that hasn't done that. But you know what? There's a difference between what I forget to tell my wife and what I choose not to tell my wife. And there are some things that she's come to me upset because she's found out from somebody else and others, and why didn't you tell me? Because in my mind, you didn't need to know. Because the more I know, the more I've got to process when I'm looking at you. They say, they say, in fact, I heard this from Dr. Hughes, who was and will be, he's not God, not is to come, but was and will be, <laughs> he will be our marriage speaker. They say that when an individual basically unloads and bears their soul to a to a minister, to a pastor in counseling, they are usually there for less than six months in that church. Once they've revealed all that garbage, they now have a difficulty for a lot of reasons, and they typically are off, gone. There's a lot of things we don't need to know. You don't need to know. And there's some things you ought to be thankful for when you find them out and you realize how long you didn't know them and now wish you hadn't known them instead of be happy you're now on the inside. I'll say it one more time and I'm moving on. But tailbearing is not just telling wrong information. It may be the absolute God's honest truth. You might be telling the facts. The point is, what's the point in telling the facts? Is there really a point? Is there really a benefit? Is there really a need? And how are we contributing to the unity of the body of Christ? Next principle is that of fruitfulness. It develops and maintains the fruit of the Spirit. As individuals, we develop and maintain the fruit of the Spirit, involved in soul winning, involved in developing disciples, involved in producing fruit. Winning souls and developing disciples is not the gifting and calling of a selected few. We all should be involved. Some of us have different abilities and giftings in those areas, but we're all involved in those areas. Some sow, some water. God gives the increase, but we're all supposed to be involved. Our lives should be producing fruit. Apostolic authority. Apostolic authority. Guiding principle of apostolic authority is being submitted to the voice of those that have rule over you. Again, this isn't about a person, it's about an, a God's office and who God 
puts in that office. But it's not about trying to give power and, 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 and whatever to an individual. But there is, we, 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 can't, we, can't, we can't be under the flow of anointing. We can't have God's blessings upon us if we are not under authority. And one of the deceptions that is not that uncommon is for people that have been involved for a while, not just people on the fringe, but people that have been involved for a while to come to the conclusion that it's acceptable for them to be on their own and not have to be under authority. God is my authority. Yeah, God's my authority, but God uses people in my life as well for me to be under the authority that He positions because there's not a person in this room that hasn't at some point in time struggled between the voice of flesh and the voice of God. I said it the other night, it's been said a lot of times the voice of God sounds like the voice of your pastor, but in my experience, God's voice has never sounded exactly like my voice. But sometimes I like to think that my voice that I'm hearing is God's voice. And I need somebody and you need somebody in your life that has authority that is watching over and guarding you. I've used the analogy before, but in sports and especially in golf, there's a lot of mechanics that go into a golf swing. And, and you can, if you're a golfer, if you understand anything about golf, you can, you can play the game and you can have your swing and you can feel like you got a great swing. You can feel like everything's good. And then somebody else looks at you and says you're doing this, or what's really even worse is when you take a video and see what you're doing. It's a little easier to take when somebody just tells you. And, and they see something that you're not doing, and they help you make adjustments. I believe as Christians, as disciples, it's the exact same thing. There are oftentimes things about me that I don't see. I need somebody else with a loving, caring, compassionate eye and spirit not to come along as a, to be judgmental and critical and tear me down, but to help me see those things. Even David, a man after God's own heart, needed the prophet to come and tell him what God said. Apost uh, again, under apostolic authority, takes ownership of God's promises to our spiritual fathers. Some of you have, hopefully all of us have individual promises, but the promises God has made to us as a body, you should as an individual take personal possession of those promises and they're your promises and you are a part of those promises and you are a part of God's fulfillment of those promises. Receive spiritual treasure from those they follow and invest spiritual treasure in those they lead. I take what I've been given and I pass it on to somebody else. I haven't had the spiritual treasures that have been invested in me and you haven't had the spiritual treasures that have been invested in you just to take and hoard and keep for yourself, but God gave them to you to in turn be able to pass on to somebody else. Last two categories, faithfulness. Righteous steward of time, talents, and treasure. Treasure may be the ministry God's given you. Treasure may be the finances God's given you. And the scripture says if you can't be faithful in what is least, how can you be faithful on 
with what is the significant and the important things. So faithfulness with our time, our talents, and our treasure. Conducts business outside of church, honestly. Faithful with our character and our conduct. It's a sad thing when people that are supposed to be Christians develop an, a reputation for being some of the worst business people around. Faithful attendee of church activities. If we're not careful, God, church, ministry becomes a planet in the solar system that revolves around us. I have all these things. Oh, they're in my life. They're important, but they revolve around me. Church isn't something that should revolve around my life. God is not something that revolves around my life. My life revolves around Him. And the things that are a part of Him. The things that are connected to Him. Lastly, relationship. Constantly strive to be void of offense. Paul said, herein do I exercise myself always, always to have a conscience that is void of offense. Always. Paul, always. The Apostle Paul, always. Wasn't some new believer. Wasn't some brand new saint saying, i got to make sure I don't have... The Apostle Paul says... Herein do I exercise myself on a daily basis to make sure I'm not developing offenses. Many of you have heard it many times. The problem is, when I have an offense, I don't see anything accurately. My perceptions are off. When I don't have an offense, God is my co-perception. And so I can see everything through God's filter. When my perception, when when I am offended and my perception is cut off, something else becomes the partner in my perception. And whether that partner's the enemy, which I don't think I can take the place on the other side since I've already got my place in the partnership. So when the enemy takes my takes that God's place, everything is tainted. You know it, but the enemy's not gonna, the enemy's never going to sit on your shoulder when somebody gives you a bad look and say, oh, they're just having a bad day, don't worry about it. When somebody walks by you and doesn't shake your hand after church, the enemy's never gonna say, ah, don't worry about it, Ian, they didn't really have a problem with you. They're just busy, they got something else on their mind, it's okay. Anybody ever had that devil tell you that? No! Did you, did you see them walk by you, standing right there, and they didn't shake your hand? It's because there's something wrong, and then that's all he has to do. That's all he has to do, because we do about like we do when there's a noise in the house at midnight. All there needs to be is a noise, and give us ten seconds, and it's all over with, because the worst criminal ever has escaped from the most secure prison ever, and he is the most armed intruder ever, and he's in our house. We fill in all the blanks. So all the enemies usually has to do is give us one thought, 
And when my perceptions are not connected with God's perception, the Word of God, I start... Let me tell you something. If you're not making sure you don't have offenses, you need to get rid of email and texts. Period. Point blank, period. Because if you got offenses, there ain't no way you're reading that email or text, listening to the voice of the person you're reading in all positive tones. Sorry, I've used it many times now, and I'll just keep using it again, but it just it, it's the simplest example, and that was when a couple of years ago my wife texted me at church, can you stop and get milk or something on your, get something on, I forget what it was, on your way home from dinner, and I shot back and said, sure, and the quickest text I ever got back from her, I don't even know how she typed it that quick, said, never mind, I'll do it. Now, wait a minute, sure on my end was, sure, no problem, I'm happy to do that. Sure on her end, I don't know what she was offended with me over, but sure on her end was, I had a problem and didn't want to help out. And let me tell you something, if we're not careful, the enemy can get a whole lot of junk going through email and text messages. I know, y'all ain't talking in tongues, but... I mean, you need to limit. If you're not exercising a conscious voice, you need to limit your, your written communication. Husbands and wives need to limit your written communication. How do we get on all this? Strive to be void of offense, that's how. Student of the Word. And then last... Part of this relates uh, under the category of relationship is humbled by his mighty hand. What does that mean? Second Peter tells us, excuse me, first Peter five and six. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due times. Therefore, humble yourselves, demote, lower yourselves in your own estimation under the mighty hand of God, that in due time He may exalt you. kind of ties back into what I taught last Wednesday night for New Year's Eve on the idea of servanthood. We get involved in relationships where we're trying to set ourselves up above each other and we're competing with each other. That's going to go back and undermine our unity. It's going to undermine God's ability to work through us collectively. So I need to humble myself and let God in due time exalt. And I need to work on lifting you up and not tearing you down. I need to find ways to support and hold up and encourage and strengthen you, not try to push you aside or tear you down to create space for me. I realize I've thrown a lot at you tonight, but again, to define who we are, what we are, to maintain what we are, that by the help and grace of God, a year, five years, ten years down the road, we won't look at these things and say, 
Who are we? How did we get here? And let, me, let me say something else, and part of my purpose and motive for this tonight is I want you to understand that from the pulpit, and I mean that symbolically, from the pulpit, I want you to know what is thought to be accepted and the norm. See, sometimes we assume that because certain people do certain things, that means I guess everybody's okay with it. Believe it or not, I think some of you elders, maybe hopefully I'll help you a little bit with this one. I'm assuming you can relate some. Believe it or not, a lot of times senior leadership is the last to know. Everybody assumes most of the time leadership knows everything. A lot of times they're the last to know some things. If you're the first to know some things, you might want to figure out whose side you're on. My point is, my point is, just because stuff going, is going on and nothing's being done doesn't mean somebody's condoning it. So I don't care if you're a congregation leader or whatever other position you hold. If you're doing things in opposition to what I communicated here tonight, this is what we stand for. What you're doing, what you may be involved in, that, that's not us. It's hidden in the notes, but also, we're not careful. We, we, want treat, we want people to be treated different than we would want to be treated. By that I mean, we, we want the axe to fall on people. They did it wrong. Somebody, somebody needs to. Yet when we're struggling, we want patience, long-suffering, kindness, another chance. Well, you know what? They messed up. How come they're giving them another chance? Because that's kind of what Jesus does with you every day. You know, they, they, they've made several mistakes several times. How in the world can they, I, I don't know, how are you getting to heaven? There's not a person in here that hadn't been a repeat offender in some areas. But for the grace of God, there go I. Stand, if you would, please. Father, I thank You for the privilege You've given me as an individual. Not because of what my name is, not because of what my position is here, not because of the office I hold, but just simply as as an individual, as a human being, I thank You for the privilege of being a part of this body of believers. I thank You for the opportunity to be a part of this church. I thank You for the great privilege You've given me of serving in the role that I'm in. But God, I just thank You for the simple privilege and blessing of being a part of this body of believers. And I pray, God, that You would give us the strength and the grace to hold true to these things, God, that are the essence of who we are, of what we are. And that in the midst of a world that is constantly changing, and not only the world, but now, even in the midst of Christianity and those that profess Christianity that seem to be continually changing and compromising and altering things, That God, You would by Your grace help us to be true to Your Word. True to the principles that have defined 
who this church is, what this church has been, and that what we will be in the future will be recognized by those things that have been established in our past. By Your grace, help us tonight. God, I, I, all of these things tonight that have been communicated, I believe, are important. But as I close, I pray that You would help us to have unity. That You would help us in every aspect, in every way, to be unified as a body of believers. That the anointing of Your Spirit might freely flow down upon us and through us. So that we might be as effective as possible in being a part of Your mission. Participants, laborers with You in Your kingdom to see your purpose fulfilled. In the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Pray you have a blessed remainder of your week in Jesus' name.